Hello, River House. How's everybody tonight? Happy Father's Day, fathers. Hey, if you got a little card on the way in, um, would you just wave it at me or wave your hand? Let me know you got it. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to think of a word or a phrase of a characteristic that you admire in a father. Could be strength, faithfulness, character. Could be anything that you want it to be. I want you to write that down. Write a phrase down. And before the night's over, would you just pray about what father in the room to give that to on the way out the door? Could you do that for me? Raise your hand if you're going to do that for me. All right. And then let's have the father stand because I want to I want to bless the fathers right now. If you're a father, would you just stand? Come on, father, stand up. Yeah, stay standing. Fathers, we honor you. We honor your service, your sacrifice, your work, your toil the way you think and plan and strategize to how to do family. We honor the character and the drive that it takes to be a father. We honor you in this place tonight. And we're going to pray for you. So just stretch out your hand where you are. Let's just pray prayers that bless our fathers. Amen. So, Father, we just lift up these fathers to you. We present them before you. And, God, we thank you that you've given us fathers. Fathers to, to lead us, to shepherd us, to help grow us, to, to grow character in us, to teach us how to work, to teach us all the things that we need to be mature adults. God, we thank you for our fathers tonight. And God, we just ask for supernatural grace on our fathers. Lord, that they would not toil just by human effort, God, but that you would release fresh grace on them this year. That this would be the best year they've ever fathered, God. We just ask for that tonight. And we just ask for a special blessing on them tonight, Father's Day. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. You can be seated, fathers. Well, I'm, I'm excited about tonight. Uh, tonight is going to be an interesting night. And I, I really wanted a really fluffy, fun, like, rah, 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 Father's Day message. That's what I really wanted. And the Lord did not give that. So we're actually going to need some courage tonight. Because we're going to do something really courageous tonight. We're going to expose the schemes of the enemy tonight. And that's going to require some courage. Courage for me, courage for you. So can we get our courage on? Let's just pray for courage right now. God, we just ask you for courage. I just pray you'd put courage in every heart. Every person that's sitting in a seat tonight would be courageous. Lord, that we would leave here 40 minutes from now, different people because of what you want to show us now. We ask you for courage, God, and we ask for it in faith, God. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 
Amen. How many of you guys were here two weeks ago? Or, sorry, a week ago. Uh, yeah. We talked about the water and the worker. Who was here for the water and the worker? Yeah. How many of you got some water this week? How many of you married couples followed through and prayed together this week? Raise your hand. All right. I'm proud of you guys. Good job. We need water. It's the water from heaven that waters the garden of who we are. Amen? And we're also called to be workers. Workers that cultivate. Cultivate our own hearts. Cultivate our marriages, our families, if we're, if we're married and have families. God's calling us to be people of the presence of God. The water is the presence of God. And everywhere the presence of God go, it's like the river of God. It brings life wherever it goes. And we need life. Amen? Amen. Well, tonight, I'm going to talk about a dangerous topic. And it's a really powerful topic. And it's one that's on the Father's heart. The topic is extremely related to identity. And the Father really wants to go after our identity tonight. And you can't go after identity without talking about shame. Because shame is the identity distorter. It's the weapon the enemy's loosed on the earth to distort true identity. But first, let's look at true identity. Here we go. Number one, I am loved. Say it, I'm loved. Yeah, 1 John 4.10 says this, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as our sacrifice. We are love people. We are victorious. Say, I am victorious. 1 Corinthians 15.57 says, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm blameless. Say, I'm blameless. I'm called. Say, I'm called. I'm a light. Say, I'm a light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Amen. You are light. I'm capable. Say, I'm capable. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm blessed. I'm a child of God. Galatians 4, 6 and, uh, 4, 7 says, You are no longer a slave, but God's child and his heir. It's good to be his child. I'm righteous. Say, I'm righteous. And I'm a conqueror. Romans 8, 37 says, In all things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. True identity. Do you know it's dangerous to walk in true identity? It's dangerous to the kingdom of darkness for you to walk in your true identity. And we will not walk in our true identity without breaking shame. So tonight, the Father wants to start a powerful process for us. Some of us are already on this trail. Some of us are beginning it tonight. That's okay. 
The Father wants to meet with us tonight and break off shame off of our lives. Can we spend the next few minutes just kind of learning a little bit about what he's going to do with us? Amen. So shame is the identity distorter. It's been sent to distort your true identity and mine. Because you walking in your true identity is so scary to the kingdom of darkness. There is nothing that will stop you when you walk in your true identity. So the enemy sends this thing called shame. What is shame? It's a great question. It's this internal sense of something's wrong with me. Something's not right in me. Something's flawed in me. I like to think of it as this sense of not enough, or think of it as not enoughness. This state that comes over us that says, I'm not enough right now. Anybody in the room besides me ever felt that? Yeah. Good, I'm talking to the right crowd tonight. Now let's don't get shame confused with remorse. Remorse is I feel bad about something I did. I feel bad. Guilt, remorse, I feel bad about something I did. Something I did caused pain for somebody that I love, and I feel, I feel bad. That's guilt and remorse. And let's don't confuse it with conviction. Conviction is the Holy Spirit's doing his job to call me into my royal identity. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Is he saying, hey, Justin, uh, yeah, no, that's not who you really are. You got to go clean that mess up. I remember a, a few years back, I was, I was the worship leader, and I was heading to church early in the morning. I was late because I woke up late, and I was scrambling. It was one of those stressful scenes, you know? Ever have one of those scenes? And I said hi to my wife, and I wasn't super patient, and I got to rehearsal. I'm walking there. I'm about ready to do the prayer thing with the whole band, like, hey, let's pray. Let's dial in. Let's really get centered on God here. And the Holy Spirit says, you were kind of rude to your wife. I'm like, hey, guys, hang on. I got a phone call to make. So I go back. I make a phone call. Hey, babe, I wasn't very patient with you. Will you forgive me? It had nothing to do with you. It had me, everything to do with me getting up late. Would you please forgive me? Conviction. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So it's really important when we're talking about shame that we don't confuse it with conviction. You've got the Holy Spirit living inside you. His job is to make you more like Jesus, which means he's going to convict you when you need it. Amen? I'm convinced personally that a lot of our problems come down to shame at the root. A lot of the struggles that we have come down to shame. We do have marriage problems, but we have far more marriage symptoms than marriage problems. I remember I was a young couple, uh, working with a young couple. They came in for the first time, and they were saying, uh, we need help. I said, okay, talk, let's talk about why you're in my office. They started talking. It became very apparent the reason they were in my office for help was because they were very stressed. So we started talking about stress. What's got you stressed out? Well, we're always working. We never have time together. And the story kept going and going. And I said, okay, so you have budget problems? You have financial problems going on? And they said, oh, yeah, we, 
our bills are enormous. And I said, okay, let's go over your bills. We start going over their bills. Pretty soon I realize, oh my goodness, they're in their mid-20s. They have a $4,000 a month house payment. They have $1,900 in car payments every month. They have three kids in private school. I'm like, I'm stressed just going over your budget. <laughs> okay, so what is going on here? What's going on here? What we found out 20 minutes later was the real culprit was shame. The real culprit was shame. All these things represented being good enough. The big fat house represented being good enough. The kids in private school represented a certain social status of being good enough. The best new cars, it represented something much deeper of being good enough. They didn't have a budget problem, they had a shame problem. And I'm convinced so many people, so many of the struggles that we face come down to this thing called shame. This thing called shame. A couple other examples for us to chew on here. Things from my life. <laughs> yeah. You know that thing that happens where it just touches that not enough place? Like, I'm not enough place. And then two minutes later, you get in an argument with your spouse, and you don't know why. Or that time when your spouse raises their voice or gives an eye roll at something you say. You feel a little triggered inside. You get cold. You get distant. You clam up a little bit. Yeah. Or maybe through social media, you see you weren't invited to that party or that camping trip with all the other people that you know. And that thing goes off inside of you and says, maybe I'm not enough. Or maybe I'm not good enough to hang with that crowd. Yeah, that's shame. That's what we're talking about. That's that thing right there. I know as a dad, there's lots of moments. My kid does something that's embarrassing. I'll never forget, uh, one of our kids was going to a Christian school, and the Christian school did interviews first. And so they asked our kid, um, hey, tell us about your family. What's your family like? And one of my kids, who's wonderful, uh, but uh, she's fun-loving, and, and she goes, oh, my family, they're crazy. And she's telling us this, and I'm like, people, crazy means a lot of things. Like, I know to you it meant something funny, but like those moments as a dad where something tweaks you a little bit inside. So where does shame come from? Well, I can tell you shame comes from the enemy. Some people think there's good shame, bad shame. I'm not really here to talk about that tonight. But I will tell you shame... The bad shame comes from the enemy. And the reason it does is because the enemy knows something about us. The enemy knows we are storytellers. We are like God in this way. God is a storyteller. He tells a story from creation until present day. A story of humanity and love and life and depravity, and brokenness, and healing, and redemption. God's a storyteller. And guess what? So are you. So am I. And something powerful happens when you and I get locked on the story of God for our lives. 
And the enemy wants to use shame to change that story, to alter the story of God for our lives. The enemy knows that if I operate in my true identity and that becomes the story in here, I am a powerful force to be reckoned with. So shame comes to change the story. He lies to us to change the story of what's happening in here. There are three stories happening inside of us. The story of God, the story of me, and the story of others. The story of God. Is God good? Is he kind? Is he harsh? Is he distant? Does he know me? Does he see me? Does he have a plan for me? These are all the questions that we wrestle with with the story of God. Who is God really? I hear who he is for other people, but who is he really for me? This is the story of God that's unfolding in our life. And the enemy wants to jump into that story and lie to us about who God really is. The story of me. Am I lovable? Am I good? Am I enough? Do people like me? Am I successful? Am I attractive? Am I smart? Do I have what it takes? This is the story that's going on inside of us, the story of me. I love this quote by Bill Johnson. He says this. He says, I can't afford to have thoughts about me that God doesn't have towards me. Such a well-said statement. You know what? I can't afford to have thoughts about me that God doesn't have towards me. And neither can you. And the enemy's working hard to make sure that we do. That we have all kinds of other thoughts going on about us. Are you with me so far? The other story, the story of others. Do I trust others? Are they safe? Can I depend on them? Will they hurt me? Will they love me when they really know me? Can I show my true self to them? Will they accept me? This is the story of others. You know, the amazing thing about these three stories going on inside of us is this. Where we end up in those stories has significant impact on our lives. Where you end up with the story of God has a significant impact on how you relate to God. Where you end up with your story of you has a significant impact on how you manifest in the world. Where you end up in the story of others in here has a significant impact of whether or not you're going to invest yourself into people and let them pour into you. And I would say, I'd be so bold to say, there's people in this room tonight that those stories are at a place that you don't have close friends. You don't have a deep relationship with God. You're not even interested in dating or considering marriage or considering going to revival group because of the way those stories have turned out for you. And the good news is, is the father is coming after his kids tonight. He's coming after us. He's loosening the bonds of shame tonight. 
so we can walk out true identity. Because guess what? When, we, when our stories line up to his, we are powerful in what we create. We are powerful in what manifests through our lives. Shame is a weapon from the enemy to change the story inside me. Let's look at Genesis 2, verse 25. I'll just read it. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Say, they felt no shame. I like this verse right here because it's, it reminds me a little bit of Star Wars. You got any Star Wars people in the house? A few Star Wars people. It's almost like this sentence right here is saying, hey guys, we're in the garden and all is good. Adam and Eve, they're naked and there's no shame. And the very next verse says this, now the serpent... You know in Star Wars how it shows like the good guys and they're fighting and everything's good and like they're, they're taking the ground and then the next scene Darth Vader walks in. Dun, 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 dun. That's kind of got this feel to it to me. Like, yeah, but the serpent's about to show up. It's all going to hell after that, you know. It's kind of got that feel to it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit, fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So far, Eve's tracking. Nice job, Eve. You've got it. You're on the story. Here's the enemy. You will not certainly die. Changing the story. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Who's telling a different story? Who's introducing a new narrative? Because Adam and Eve, there was a story. The story went like this. All this in the garden I've given you. I've created it for you. You can consume all of it except for this one thing here. And any other needs that come up, like companionship? Oh yeah, no problem. I'm meeting those needs as well, Adam. Here's Eve. Oh. The story goes like this. I'm God. I'm the Father. I've got all your needs covered. That's the story. And I'm a good father, so I'm going to give you a boundary. This tree here, we're not ready for that one yet. 
The enemy loved to, loves to accelerate timelines. It wasn't that they were never going to eat it. It was they weren't ready to eat it. Just like as a father, you're not ready to see some violence yet. You're not ready to talk about those things yet or listen to music that's talking about things, things yet. You're not ready yet. That's a good father. He gives boundaries to his kids. And the enemy loves to accelerate timelines by changing the story. This is exactly what we see him doing here. So there was a story, and the enemy's whispering in the ear of Eve, and guess what he's saying? You can't trust God. Don't trust God. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. He's lying to you. He's hiding stuff from you. And this is what the enemy does. He whispers in our ear, gets us to believe things that are not true. The enemy changed the story by infusing confusion and distrust towards God. The enemy shifted Eve's attention from what she had to what she doesn't have. One of his greatest strategies. All this I've given you, the Lord said. Can you imagine how good Eden was? Can you imagine that garden? How vast and massive it was? And here Eve, she's focusing on the one thing she can't have. And that's the enemy at work. The hallmarks of shame, here we see them all. Hiding, covering, blaming. God confronts Adam. What does Adam say? Hey, it's the woman you gave me, Adam, God. The woman goes, hey, it's this serpent. He showed up out of nowhere. And the snake, as they say, had no leg to stand on. Sorry, dad joke. I'm rocking the dad bod and the dad jokes today. It's Father's Day. Let me tell you a little bit about my story of shame. This is a brief summary to give you a little traction in your own story. Parents divorced at two years old. So abandonment, which is the doorway that opens up for shame. I had a fear-driven mom with a lot of shame from her alcoholic mother. A lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. My little sister died before I was born, so you can imagine how fearful my mother was. Full of fear, full of anxiety. How did this manifest in my life? Manifested as a micromanaging mother type, managing everything around me. It would be great. If I internalize her micromanaging as, wow, mom really loves me. I must be valuable. That would have been great. Unfortunately, it didn't at all. It turned out like this. I don't have what it takes. I don't know how to do anything. Mom's the one who knows how to do everything. I'm not enough. Mom's enough, but I'm not enough. Nobody was telling me that. But that's how shame works. It's the whisper in the ear. It's the whisper in the ear from the enemy. 
It was my subjective right brain sensing experience. Not enough. Started very early. At age 11, I go to live with my dad, a blue-collar construction family, hardworking. Dad was up at 5 every morning and at work by 6, working hard. Here I am, high school, playing basketball, playing sports. My body's grown. I'm exhausted. I'm working out. I'm working with dad on the construction site. And dad's careless words like lazy, bum, what's taking so long? You're slow. You're always sleeping in. These words that don't sound super harmful just reinforce this sense of not enough, not enough, not good enough. Again, nobody was telling me I wasn't good enough. This is what was showing up inside of me. My parents are good people. They were just unaware. Unaware of the messages that were being internalized by me. And that's the danger for us. Is if we're unaware, we'll do exactly the same thing. To a whole generation of people coming in to our church, if we're unaware of how shame's affected us, we'll just pass it right along like my parents did to me. Pass it along to our kids. Pass it along to the people we're discipling. Amen? So I didn't even recognize I had shame until I got married. God bless my wife. She's wonderful. I'm at a barbecue as a newly married man. I'm 20 years old. I had just gotten my plate of food. I'm excited. I walk over. I sit down. I get a chair next to me. I'm so excited because my beautiful wife is about to come over and sit next to me. And I'm super fired up about this. This is my first go as a married man. So here she comes. She's getting her food. She walks over. She walks right past me and goes and sits down next to her friend. And what message do you think went off inside me? Say it. There it is. Shame from another era showed up in the moment. Bam. And then I started to realize these things happen. And I could remember being a high schooler during warm-ups in high school, shooting warm-ups. And looking in the stands, trying to find my parents in the stands. But guess what? They weren't there. They weren't in the stands. And what message do you think I got internally? Well, maybe if I was a better basketball player, they'd be here. Well, maybe if I was a better shooter. Maybe if I scored more points. Maybe if I started every game. Maybe, 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 maybe. There's always something that I can do that can make myself enough. Not enough. Shame tells us that something outside of me is the answer to make me feel enough. That's what shame does. It says, it's something out there that's going to make me enough. So how do we break shame? Well, the first challenge we have is shame is often subconscious. It's not, oh, we're not aware of it for the most part. It's below our awareness. We don't walk around thinking about this. We just know what it feels like when it shows up, maybe. 
So here are a few manifestations. I call this modern versions of fig leaves. <laughs> Remember fig leaves? Remember Adam and Eve, right, doing the, the dance with the fig leaves, covering up? Well, this is how we cover up right here. Number one, overachieving. Perfectionism comes from here. Climbing the ladder. An unhealthy thirst for success. Do, 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 do. I've had some clients in my office through the years where they were on this track and their bodies were so depleted, so exhausted. I told one guy one year, I said, hey, I want you to go home and I want you every night, I want you to sit there for 30 minutes and do nothing. He's like, what? <laughs> do nothing? Do nothing. Wait a second. Like it wasn't even in the vocabulary. Do, 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 do. Numbing, drinking, drugs, porn, sex, overworking, overspending, overeating. This is a way that we deal with hiding our nakedness. Numbing. It's getting really quiet over here, AJ. <laughs> Rebellion. Refusal to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Pushing against authority. Total autonomy. Avoiding, checking out emotionally. Not feeling anything. Not needing anything. Passivity. Non-action. Non-participation. Analysis paralysis. Not showing up. Hiding myself from others. Materialism. More, more, more. More stuff will make me feel enough. I'm sure some of us know people like that. Punishing, thinking or talking poorly of myself, joking about my appearance, my intelligence, not taking care of myself well. Attention-seeking, talking about myself, drawing attention to myself, immodest dress, self-promotion. These are kind of the modern equivalents to what Adam and Eve did in the garden, covering up their nakedness. Modern equivalents of fig leaves. These are our ways of covering ourselves. But here's the problem. None of these lead to a life of joy and freedom. In fact, they put us in bondage. They put us in bondage. How can we influence people in an agape culture where we're signing up for bondage? It doesn't work that way. We need to break ways with shame. Breaking shame begins with us coming to the Father. The end of the story in Genesis 3.21 says this, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Wow. Here, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed, and here God, in his kindness, still clothes them. He says, hey, guys, take off the fig leaves. I'll cover you. I'll cover your nakedness. I'll cover your shame. 
This is a picture of Jesus shedding his innocent blood to cover your shame and mine. It's a picture of the Father saying, I'll cover you. I've got it covered. You don't have to continue to show up in all those ways right there. I've got what you need. Breaking ways with shame starts with coming to the Father. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he, meaning Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. He took my sin and my shame. Which means I'm not supposed to carry it anymore. Revelation 3.18 says this. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. What is he saying? He's saying, come to me. I'll give you a garment that covers your nakedness. You don't have to cover your nakedness anymore. As I'm turning the corner, coming around the bend here to wrap up, there's one more picture I want to share with us. It's the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 20 through 24. Remember the story? The, the son asks for his father's inheritance, and he travels to a faraway land, and he squanders his money. And the Bible says... He's being bad, like he's doing bad stuff. You know, he's not investing in cryptocurrency that's going down. You know, it's, he's loose living. And then he has this come to Jesus moment, this moment of sobriety of thought, where he says, I'd be better off in my father's household as a worker than laying here in this pig slop. So he starts the journey back, and here's what happens next. It says, and he arose and came to his father. Shame story stops when we come to the father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Shame had done its work. The son saying, I'm no longer worthy. I'm no longer enough to be your son. He didn't leave that way, but he certainly came back that way. Shame had done the damage. But here's the father's response. 
The father is having nothing to do with this. He says this, hey guys, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let's eat and be merry. What, is the, what does the father do? He says, yeah, all this, you're not enoughness. Yeah, we'll have none, none of that. You're my son. You were my son when you left, and you're still my son. So we're about to throw a party because my son's home. And that's the father's heart toward us. That's the father's heart toward us when we bring him our shame. The father says, I'll take your shame. I put it upon my son Jesus 2,000 years ago. I don't want you carrying it anymore either. Are you tracking so far? Shame had distorted his identity, but the father took action. The father took action. He was watching from a long ways off and took action. I want to invite somebody up right here who's going to share a quick story, something that happened. Come on up, Roland. Roland, serve. Come on up, my man. you just share briefly what's happened yeah so um, with the story of shame uh, Justin kind of introduces uh, to us at revival group and revival groups are so powerful you know just people who love Jesus care about each other and there was this one night we were all there and uh, we were in the room praying for each other you know we were just praying for shame to break off of people's lives and just in different areas and someone in the room was like, I feel just a real heaviness on my heart. There's just someone here um, that has a heaviness on them. And he started weeping. He's like, I feel your heaviness. And I was like, I felt like um, I was caught because my, my heart started beating really fast. And, you know, if you're in ministry, you know that the Lord's moving when, he's, when your heartbeat is like moving really fast. You're like, shoot, he got me. <laughs> and so... Uh, what ended up happening was, he's like, we just, you just need to come in the middle and we need to pray for you. And I'm like, all right, uh, the Father's really chasing me down right now. He's singling me out. And I, and I did, and I got up. And I didn't even really know what was going to happen. And, you know, there was some, someone, some prophetic words said. I, I don't remember anything that happened in this moment. I'm just kind of like, what's happening? And so everyone starts laying their hands on me. It was, the room was also really hot, so I just started sweating profusely. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just, just hands were being laid on me and, I was, and, and then Justin just told me just to look and he's like, Roland, stop just a second here. He's like, just focus on me. And he said, just look into my eyes. And I like the shame kicked in because the shame didn't want me to be vulnerable and look into anyone's eyes. It was just like, I'm not enough to look at anyone. I just got to look down. And Justin was just like, just, no, just keep your eyes on me. And he just kept repeating over and over again you're enough, you are enough, you are enough. And it just really kicked in from just like want to look away. And he's like, Roland, right here, right here, Roland, right here. You are enough, you are enough, you are enough, you are enough. And I just don't even know what happened to me, but I just like broke down 
crying, like uncontrollably because, and, I, and if you know me, I'm not a crying person, but um, like just in that moment, I, I just don't even know, really can explain what really happened, but I just looked at Justin and I didn't really even see Justin anymore. I saw Jesus and it was Jesus telling me that you are enough. And all these things in your life that you're trying to like, you know, prove to someone that you're something or to yourself, um, that just that just hit me, and that that was just a powerful moment. So yeah, yes, thank you. Yeah. So I just felt like tonight, some more of that needs to happen. Some more of Jesus speaking into the hearts through the eyes of his sons and daughters that you're enough, that you have what it takes. And I, I, I really believe that, that there's people in the room tonight that actually are going to have a breakthrough in shame tonight. That if you bring yourself to the Father, that the Father is going to break through in a powerful way in your life, in your story. And, you know, I'm, I saw Roland three days later, and I, I just could not believe the difference in his countenance. It was just, it was just, he's always been a great guy that I like a lot, but something had shifted in him. And that's exactly the thing that happened to me 10 years ago. The very same thing happened to me 10 years ago. And it changed my story with shame. So as the ministry team comes tonight, I just want to invite the worship team. I want to make this your space tonight. The father's going after his sons and his daughters tonight. And there's some of us that you need a moment of going face-to-face -face with the Father. You need a moment of going eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball with Him where He speaks to you and says, you're enough. You have what it takes. And I love this verse right here. It's the last thing that I'm going to do before I'm done. It's Psalm 34, 5. It says, those who look to Him Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Will you look to him tonight? Will you look into his eyes? Will you let him go eyeball to eyeball with you and change something inside of you? Because your story, your story is at hand. You are called to manifest the glory of God through your story. And the enemy has come to twist and turn your story into something it's not supposed to be, just like you heard my story. But you've got a father who's chasing you down. And he's saying, come to me. Bring it to me. Bring your shame to me. Bring your sense of not enough to me. And I'll break through in your story. Amen, church? Amen. So why don't we just stand? We can lower the lights and go into a ministry mode. That would be awesome. And I just want to encourage you to come to him. Come to the Father tonight. He's here. He's waiting he wants to speak to you. And some of you, I believe, 
even need a physical mother and father to speak these words. And so I've asked a few moms and dads here to just speak words of true identity into you guys that need it. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you and we thank you for this time. And we just believe you are preparing us for a powerful future. And Father, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're chasing down your sons and daughters tonight. And that when we look to you, our faces are never covered in shame. We thank you tonight. In Jesus' name, just come down and receive the ministry from the Father. Thank you, God.